can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Welcome to Thursdays on the Talking Pools podcast. This is where we crack open the pool Bible and sink our teeth into some CPO knowledge. But before we do that, if you are looking for a CPO certification class, go to my website, poclass.com, click on the CPO certification schedule tab. That will take you to a listing of both my in-person and virtual classes. The dates are there. Still battling the lazy days of summer? That's okay. You can take a CPO certification class with me from anywhere in the world as long as you have an internet connection. All the dates of the virtual classes I have scheduled through the end of the year. You already have a CPO class scheduled? Even if I'm not the instructor and you want to prepare yourself the best you can possibly prepare yourself for a CPO certification class, still go to my website, cpoclass.com, click on the CPO practice test tab. That will pull up a plethora, a myriad of information that you can use free of charge flashcards, practice tests, downloads. It's all right there, cpoclass.com. Now, before we get into the heat of things today, and I do mean before we get into the heat of things, which is appropriate for the time of the season, before we do that, it's no secret that I've had my trials and tribulations with TikTok. But my boy, pool boy in the house, is crushing it. I was checking out some of his videos a little bit earlier. If you haven't had the chance, if you are a TikToker, find him. Pool boy in the house. 347,000 followers. There's got to be a reason for it. And check this out. 4.1 million likes. Dude, his content is friggin' hysterical. He has me dying. Check him out. Pool boy in the house. Now, I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee. You do the same. And when we come back, we will heat things up just a little bit. Catch you then.
apparently I waited until the hottest week of the year to talk about heaters and heating pools. What is going on with the temperatures? 115 degrees in California, 112 degrees in Texas, 102 degrees here in Florida yesterday. Amadon, you have no idea how much moisture hair absorbs until you shave it off. That's a fact. Believe it or not, there are recommended temperatures for different activities in a swimming pool. Recreational swimming, 82 degrees Fahrenheit. Infant swims, that's four and under. We're looking at 90 to 93 degrees. Children instructional classes, 84 to 89. Competitive swimming and diving, 77 to 82 degrees. And then, of course, the hot tub. Always at 104, you can put it a little bit lower, but they're going to whine and bitch and moan and complain until you bring it up, 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 because unless they're close to boiling, they won't be content. Heating a body of water is all about energy, the amount of energy going in, the amount of energy going out. If we put in more energy than we lose, the temperature will increase. If we lose more energy than we put in, the temperature will drop. So let's say I wanted to take a sip of coffee, but I thought it was too hot and I didn't want to burn my mouth. What I might do is blow across the surface to cool it down a little bit. You've done this with a spoonful of soup, right? What that does is it cools it off through convection. That's the blowing across it. I am actually forcing the loss of energy, and that will drop the temperature. That's actually the second greatest loss of energy that we'll see on a body of water. Think about a windy day. If I cup my hands around the cup and I can feel the heat of the coffee through the cup itself, that's loss of energy through conduction. That's the means in which we lose the least amount of energy, but we do still lose energy that way, so I'm going to mention it. If I was to take my hand and hold it over the top of the cup and I could feel the heat of the coffee coming off of the surface of the water in the hand I held above the cup, that would be an example of loss due to radiation. It's loss of energy to a cooler sky. You've been out at a swimming pool on a cool morning, right? When the water is warmer than the air, you've seen that fog rising off of the surface, right? If I just set my cup down and forgot about it, just left it there, you know, kind of like when you're working in a pool store this time of year, you take your sip of coffee, you put it down on the counter, you walk away, five hours later you come back and it's completely cooled off. If you let it go even longer than that, you'd probably even lose some of the liquid out of the cup. That's loss due to evaporation, and that, my friends, is your greatest loss of energy. That increases exponentially during periods of low relative humidity, high water temperatures, high air temperature like we have now. Evaporative losses are the absolute greatest loss of energy you will face in your coffee and out at the pool. So how do we reduce energy losses? What are a couple of things that we can do? Well, you can go with wind fencing like they have at tennis courts. As long as there's not divots in it so that somebody could climb it, you'd be okay there. You could go with planters around the pool area. I'll tell you what, I'm not a big fan. The closest the planter should ever be to a pool is 400 yards away if it's a pool that I'm taking care of. Solar covers. I know. I know. If you're talking about the blue bubble wrap kind of stuff, they can be a really big pain in the ass, but it will reduce your losses, and that in turn will help to keep the energy in the water. It reduces evaporation, it reduces convection, and also radiation. I said it before, I'll say it again. I'm happy to sell a customer on my route, a solar cover, but there's two rules they have to understand. It will not be on the pool when I get there, and it will not be on the pool when I leave. 
Now, if you have a big competition pool, that brings solar cover to a whole different level. These are big, heavy covers on huge rollers. Still a pain in the ass to get in, pain in the ass to get out. But I'll tell you what, these save a ton of money on heating costs of those pools, especially when you have an event the next day. If you know that you're going to have a cool night, 76 degrees, they roll these covers out. It helps keep that energy in the water so that way it doesn't have as far to go before the event. And heating a big body of water takes a long time and a lot of energies. So at these types of facilities, those covers are a godsend. Natural Chemistry Products makes a Pro Series liquid cover. Yes, they work. Otherwise, I wouldn't be telling you about it. The chemistry here is a long-chain fatty alcohol. That keeps the energy in. The way it spreads across the surface of the pool is through incorporation of a spreading agent like paraffin wax. That shoots it out across the surface really quick. It's a wetting agent, like a surfactant. It spreads the water molecules apart, and it takes that alcohol with it. It seals the surface of the pool water, keeping the energy in. It's not oily. It's not greasy. I've not noticed any scumline buildup because of it. I've been using them for quite a while now. I'm a fan, and I like them a whole lot better than those blue bubble wrap covers. Solar heaters are pretty cool. They'll give you a boost in temperature. Not enough to swim me around, but definitely enough to extend the season. They do take up a lot of room. Ideally, you'll want the same square footage of solar heater that you have of pool surface area. Depending on the size of your pool, that could be huge. And you want to install it facing the southwest skies. That way, it, you'll get the maximum temperature increase from that afternoon sun. You could look at a gas heater. Here, you'll have a choice of either natural gas or propane. Two different types of ignition, either millivolt or electric pilot. Pump pushes water through the exchanger inside the heater. There's an open flame underneath the exchanger, heating the exchanger, sometimes upwards of 1,100 degrees. Sizing these things is all about the BTUs. Size the heater based off of the coldest time of year that your customer wants to swim. Figure out what the water temperature is during that month and what your customer wants the water temperature to be. That difference is is going to be key in helping us size a heater because we always size a heater based off of the maximum temperature increase because you can always turn a thermostat down, but you cannot make it do more than it's capable of doing. Sizing the heater is the easy part. Take the weight of the water and multiply it by that maximum temperature increase we're going to need. Water weighs 8.33 pounds per gallon, so take the gallonage, multiply it by 8.33, then times whatever the difference was between what the water temperature is in the coldest time of year the customer wants to swim and what the customer wants it to be. So if the water temperature is 50 and they want it to be 80, that number is 30. So gallons times 8.33 times 30 in this scenario would give me total BTUs required to make that temperature increase happen. To figure out the cost of operation, take that number and then divide it by the number of hours you have been given as a parameter to heat the pool. So if they want to raise the temperature in six hours, we would divide that number by six. If they want to raise the temperature in 12 hours, then we would divide that number by 12. That gives me BTUs per hour. If I divide the BTUs per hour by 100,000, that will give me therms per hour. 
Now you can calculate the operation cost by grabbing a copy of your customer's existing gas bill. It will have the cost per therm on that gas bill. So by determining how many hours you're going to run that heater each day, you will have the therms consumed per day. Multiply that by the cost per therm and boom, that gives you your daily cost to operate that unit. Keep in mind, this does not take loss into consideration. So if you want to minimize the losses and be closer to this number that we're working with, sell your customer a solar cover. Just make sure that it's not on the pool when you get there to service it, because ain't nobody want to deal with that. You could look at a heat pump as a means of heating a pool. An air heat pump uses air temperature to warm the Freon in the unit. The Freon then passes through a compressor, becomes hot Freon. The water passes through the unit, and that's what causes the temperature to increase. The downside to heat pumps is they don't work very well when the temps drop below 49 degrees, and depending on where you're located, we do see temps that low. If you get a model that has a scroll compressor, they're actually able to get a little bit more heat out of the lower air temps. They have a few less moving parts and they are a lot quieter when they operate. So that's something that you might want to consider if you're looking at going with one of those. A lot of large facilities use geothermal heat pumps. These bad boys tap into the aquifer. They take that water, they draw it up, they use that water temperature to warm the Freon in the units, which then passes through a compressor, becomes hot Freon, just like with our air heat pump. And then that raises the water temperature passing through the unit. It returns the water to the aquifer unharmed. This is considered a very green way to go. Finally, we also have heat exchangers. Heat exchangers utilize the facility's existing hot water, or they can have their own boiler system. Either way, if you utilize the facility's existing hot water, all you're doing is paying to heat water you are already heating anyway. The water from the pool passes through the exchanger. It taps into your hot water system. That goes through in small tubes. The water from the pool surrounds these tubes, and the heat is exchanged. The heated water then goes back out to the swimming pool. That's all I have for you guys this week. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are thinking of getting your CPO certification, definitely hit me up at cpoclass.com. Click on the CPO certification schedule page, like I mentioned before. If you're looking just to get a little bit more practice, a little bit more studying in before a CPO test, go again to my website, cpoclass.com. There you can click on the CPO practice test tab, and that will take you to all of my prep materials. I also have onlinepoolclasses.com, which is great for either you, a team member, your employee, anybody you have. There's some free classes there. There's some at a fee, but they're nominal fee. So please take advantage of these educational opportunities. I put them there for you. Check in tomorrow and listen to the Talking Pools podcast with myself and Andrea. We got a good one for you. And next Thursday, more CPO stuff. My name's Rudy. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I really appreciate you. Until next time, be good, be safe. I 
just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor, click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 